Ah, the playoffs, sweet giver of drama, late drama, late, late, late drama, like as late as drama can be. This week we celebrate the winners and lament with the losers. Don't worry, Newport, you've still got the best ground name and nickname in the EFL. Fear not, Black Cats, season two of Sunderland Till I Die just got the perfect finale. And don't worry, Derby, at least you get the opportunity to try and win back the Brian Clough Trophy next season. For the last time this term, this is the Totally Football League Show. Yep, it's me, Matt Davis-Adams, Muddy Knees Media's very own Tony Park, Stuart Gray, Neil Redfern, Keith Millen hybrid, all right on a caretaker basis, but offer me the job on a full-time term and watch the performances of the team slip away like a Nabi Saar back pass. Alongside me today, a pair of pundits who go together like John Carew and Prince William, and a betting expert who was right to keep banging on about Aston Villa. First up, if he's not on the radio, he's on a podcast, or else he's writing something about tactics, which is too difficult for me to understand. He's putting a proper shift this season, so it's no surprise to see he's coming in flip-flops and a sombrero today, ready for a well-earned summer break. Hello to the former Arsenal South End and Stevenage winger, Adrian Clark. What a welcome. Thank you very much. You should have added poor predictor. <laughs> <laughs> Alongside Adrian, he's a man of many talents. You know him best as a football pundit from the glamorous world of television. A big namaste to former striker, who rumour has it used to play with John McGinn. Howdy, Sam Parkin. Good morning, Matthew. <laughs> and the lineup wouldn't be complete without our resident odds maker. His beloved Bolton may have stunk out the championship this season, but he always comes up smelling of roses and beer and kebabs. How's tricks, Joe Crilly? Very good, thank you. Good. <laughs> right, introduction's done. Let's look back on the bank holiday weekend triple header at Wembley, starting with the 170 gazillion pound winner take all, biggest game ever. No, really, it's massive, like huge. Nothing could ever compare in terms of enormity to the Championship Playoff Final. You're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. So Aston Villa will be back in the Premier League next term after they atone for last season's playoff final defeat by beating Derby 2-1. Anwar El Ghazi put them ahead in the first half. John McGinn made it two after the restart, meaning that Martin Waghorn's goal was scant consolation for Derby. Or was it Jack Marriott's goal? Well, either way, doesn't really matter. Up to Joe on Twitter. Tell us this the first time both teams have scored in the Championship playoff final since 2012. Was it a fair result, Adrian Derby? Maybe too many players who, who didn't show up, the likes of Mount and Wilson, where, whereas Villa kind of showed the quality we've seen the last couple I of months? I think that's a fair comment, yeah. I, I do think that Villa deserved it. And when you look back at the game, when you analyse it, for sure Aston Villa won the midfield battle. I think he, the, the star performer was probably John McGinn, but he was ably supported, wasn't he, by Hurahan and, and Grealish. And they dominated that part of the pitch, whereby the Derby counterparts were... I don't want to say they misfired, but they certainly didn't assert themselves. For me, the game was won in the first 15 minutes of the second half, because obviously it was very even until the goal just before half-time. And what would happen then? Would Villa sit on the lead? Would they go into protection mode? No. And we heard afterwards that Dean Smith sort of gave his team a bit of a rollicking at half-time. And that, I think, was the, the decisive moment. They came out on the front foot, very assertive. And really, for the first 20 minutes, until they were 2-0 down, first 20 minutes of the second half, Derby did nothing. So Aston Villa, yeah, for me, they took the ball by the horns and fully deserved the win. Congratulations to them. Incredible season for them, Sam, when you think that they were 13th in the table at the start of March, eight points off the playoffs. Then they had that 10-match winning streak. You know, it could have been Thierry Henry in charge <laughs> rather than, than Dean Smith and, and they probably wouldn't be in the position that they're in now. What's been the key to them turning it around? Is it as simple to say they've got the right manager in? There's got to be more to it than that, hasn't there? I think that's a big part of it. 
I think given the, the, the players' confidence, uh, obviously I've worked with Dean on a couple of occasions and he's just a brilliant bloke. You know, he makes you feel good about yourself. He's a good coach on the training ground uh, and he's got a real humility about him. I think that that's important. He spoke about it with Chris Wilder yesterday, just treating everyone in the same manner, irrelevant if they're in the starting lineup or not. So got a great guy in charge, first and foremost. I think the signings in, in January, the positions that me and Adrian had spoke about, you know, throughout the first portion of the season to get some central defenders into the club. Uh, and obviously, I think the relationship that's developed between the, the three chaps in midfield in particular, but obviously Grealish and McGinn, that, that tandem has been sensational. So, yeah, I mean, he didn't have to do a great deal yesterday in terms of his setup because that's the way that they go about things. I can only think that Frank Lampard felt putting a diamond in there would, would stop those two players in particular. But I think what it did was it stopped Derby from being able to have a go at particularly the Villa fullbacks, which I would say has been their Achilles heel at times this season. And, and ironically, it wasn't until Marriott and, and Waghorn came on that those two fullbacks found themselves in a little bit more of a match. So I think in hindsight, he'll maybe question the decision to go with Bennett and Lawrence, but I can understand the mobility, the work rate of those two to unsettle Villa, but you want your goal scorers yeah. on the pitch. I don't think Lampard got his team right personally yeah with the Bennett I think Marriott on the pitch or Waghorn if either or would have would have would have offered them more threat what Villa did and what Dean Smith did with his identification really which was an obvious one was was how aging centre-backs and, and a little lack of pace by getting two young athletic guys in there just enable Villa to push up they don't have to defend us deep anymore and that squeezed the space in midfield during this amazing run at the end of the season and it's important that they squeeze that space in midfield because they don't have great defensive players in there. Huran's not a great defender. Whelan, he's, he's slow. So they needed to congest it in there. And those two centre-backs allowed Villa to squeeze up. And I think that tactically that, that made the difference in the running. Dean Smith gets the chance to lead his boyhood club in the Premier League. A pre-match, we heard the heartbreaking story of his dad, a former steward at Villa Park. Uh, Smith Jr. says uh, his dad probably doesn't know his son is now Villa manager because he's suffering from dementia. But he said, I went to see him on Friday and I told him the next time I'll see him, I'll be a Premier League manager. And he looked at me and smiled. It's quite dusty in the studio today, yeah, isn't it? And yeah. um, um, very dusty. But but that's great. And obviously they've got a, a Villa supporter as manager and also one as captain too. And that's the dream combination for supporters. It can be a double-edged sword, I guess, because it, it puts immense pressure on Dean Smith. And, you know, he's spoken about the fact that his family will live in Birmingham. So if it hadn't gone well, what would happen? Same with Grealish. You, you carry the extra responsibility, but there's no denying that having that connection could and should be a positive rather than a negative, I guess. Yeah, it has to be. And you really felt those celebrations when you were watching it yesterday. And you could see Dean Smith looking up at various sections of the support and pointing out old um, friends and, and family members. And he spoke about having that meeting, I, I presume, with his, with his wife and his nearest and dearest about taking that job, about the opportunity. Could they turn it down, given you know what a good place he was in at, at Brentford? But, but like I said, he's just a brilliant bloke, Dean Smith. And... Um, you know, every time I've seen him since since I've retired, he you know we're going over a nice chat, and I'm really pleased for him. But it's the perfect scenario, really, for Grealish in particular to have the opportunity to go and play in the Premier League now, not have to be, you know, concerned about a, a summer of rumours and the potential to be going to a Premier League club. He can do it with Villa now. You, you would imagine next season, but that is going to be a lot of comings and goings in the summer because you you look at it and you think that Norwich are probably better suited, I would say, and probably Sheffield United as well, just because a lot of the players that got them the success 
are going to be there next year. There's loads of players, loanies, etc., that are going to be leaving Villa Park. On Grealish, Adrian, maybe not his most influential game in the final, but certainly the the key man in the post-match. First of all, he manages to cut his eye on the trophy during the trophy lift. And then we get to see those battered old boots that he's been wearing because he scored a couple of goals in them. I mean, I'm sure his boot sponsors are having kittens watching that. But A... Did you ever any, have any superstitions like that? And B, it's quite cool of the manager to let him do that, isn't it? Because is there not a part of you that thinks, nah, hang on, um, you need to wear like proper boots that are in good nook for this, the biggest game of your career? Yeah, I, personally, if I was a manager, I would just let, the, as long as the player's comfortable, I absolutely think it'd be wrong of, of the manager to say, no, you can't wear those. So so no, I, I think that Dean Swift did the right thing to let that go. You could, yeah, if players are all individuals and you've got to and that's one of the hardest things about being a manager that you have to know and understand each person and what makes them tick and, and Dean Smith obviously knew not to say anything about to Jack Grealish there just let him, let him go so no yeah they were absolutely battered <laughs> that, was, that was quite funny I think that Grealish has been tremendous and he's just grown hasn't he as, as a person you can see the maturity in him as a character now and he's going to be a top player in the Premier League. I think he will be in England squad sooner rather than later. I think really that there's a case to suggest he should be in it now. So, so Grealish will, his career is on the upward trajectory now and uh, yeah, I'm really pleased to see it. Sam, were you one of those kissing a lucky rabbit's foot in the dressing room, doing yeah. the old Paul Ince oh, yeah. shirt on in the tunnel? Yeah, all that. I think we're all superstitious sport, sports people, but you're not... Yeah, yeah, I used to wear the same vest, the same socks under my, my, my football socks, the same pants for a period if I scored, tuba grip over my shin pads, eat the same food if I'd had a good game the previous week, yeah, for, throughout my career. And the shin pads I got, I think, off a mate, yeah, a good mate of mine, Ed, when I was maybe 15, 16, and I played until my late 20s wearing the same shin pads. So there's a lot of that. I think when you see the boot skip being opened at you know various away grounds, there's normally one like 20-year-old pair of shin pads that someone's still churning yeah, out. Yeah, definitely. And that was definitely me. Yeah, no, footballers are really superstitious. I was, I was obviously unusual in that regard. I used to share a little... I think I've told this story before, but Martin Margerson, the, the England goalkeeper coach now, he was my teammate and neighbour at Southend, and, and if he saw one magpie on the way to training or a game, he, he, he couldn't go. Because he had to see two, because one was bad luck. And he had to <laughs> salute it. I mean, what a load of nonsense. But, like, yeah, I remember being late for a game once. And uh, he just was driving around until he saw Magpie. <laughs> I think with the, with, with the boots, though, I think that does show a... An enormous level of confidence from from Grealish as well, because I would have been yeah, concerned. I don't need the best tools in my trade. I, I would have been worried that my boot was going to split open, mm. and then that all the attention would be drawn to me. I'd have to go to the side of the pitch. So I think it just shows incredible le- level of belief, and that he's a bit of a he's a bit of a street footballer, isn't he? And he just yeah. goes out there and he can perform irrelevant of what he's got yeah, on his I, feet. I liked it. Yeah, he's, he sort of reminds you a bit of a young Wayne Rooney in that way, isn't he? Definitely. You'd be happy kicking a can down the street sort of thing. Well, we've had our say. Let's um, let's get another Villa perspective on this. We're going to speak to Dan Bardell from the Villa View podcast. Tell us about the atmosphere inside Wembley yesterday. I'm interested in that because it seemed like it might have been a bit different from last season when you played against Fulham. Was, was there a, a slightly different sense of occasion this time around? Last season, I think every, everyone knew how much was, was riding on it. I think in the days leading up to the, the playoff final, I think stuff about the finances was, was starting to come out. So it, it felt like we absolutely had to, had to go up last year and, and obviously we, we fell at the final hurdle and, and didn't manage to do it. This year feels more like the, the right time 
to go up because I think if we had gone up last season, obviously no ownership would have changed or anything like that. And I, and I think we would have come straight back down. I think now feels like the right time with the right players and the, the, the right manager and the right people behind the scenes. The atmosphere yesterday was one of positivity because a couple of months ago, we didn't, we didn't even think we were going to be anywhere near the playoffs. We were sitting in 13th. We, we were looking awful, to be honest. It was looking like the season was going to peter out. I, I certainly just wanted it to end. And then Jack Grealish makes, makes his return and, and we go on an incredible run that just did not seem like it, it was going to happen at all. It, it, it did happen and there's a lot of relief in there. There's, there's a lot of emotions. To, to be honest, I don't think I could single it out to, to being one emotion, but there, it was a great atmosphere yesterday. Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. I thought the performance was excellent as well. I really did. But the big but, I guess, is that a lot of your star performers aren't actually players that belong to Aston Villa, are they? I thought El Ghazi was brilliant on the day. Abraham played played well. The two centre-halves, outstanding. They've made the difference. Are they going to stick around? Do you think there's a realistic prospect you'll be able to sign these guys permanently? I think it's probably half and half. I think Al Ghazi will, will be there next season. I think there's something already in, in place. Ty, Tyro Mings, I can't explain how good that, that guy's been and how much he, he's endeared himself to the club and endeared himself to the fans. He, he looked like he really wants to be a part of Aston Villa Football Club and I, and I can't see any way in which that, that doesn't end up happening now. Twanzabe is going to be a difficult one because obviously everyone knows Manu have got issues at the back. To me, he's better than some of the centre-backs Manu have already got at their club. So I think he'd be a difficult one to get back. But it's it's no good him going to going back to Manu and not playing every week. That that won't do him any good. Perhaps a season of Premier League football with Aston Villa would be better for Axel Twanzabe's career. Tammy's a difficult one as well because everyone knows the Chelsea problems, the, the transfer embargo. I've got a feeling they might end up just stockpiling what they have there. But again, that that's no good for Tammy Abraham's career. He needs to be playing week in, week out, and Aston Villa will give that to him, and they'll give that to him now in the Premier League, which is which is where he wants to be. So it, it will be interesting. There's going to be a massive rebuild in the summer anyway. There's a lot of our squad out of contract. As well, a lot of people that didn't, didn't play yesterday, Whelan, Yedinak, Elphick, uh, Hutton, they're, they're all out of contract. So it's going to be an interesting summer, to be honest, but it, it's just a chance now for Villa fans to just to just drink in and, and just enjoy being back and just hopefully with what we've got in place, we can be competitive. What are your chances of competing in the Premier League next season? Are you aiming for 17th or are you, are you looking to kind of without wishing to uh, sting local pride too much, do a Wolves or something similar to that? Is that, is that even realistic? I think, to be honest, you've got to admire what, what Wolves have done. I think there was questions asked a bit last season when they were in the Championship, but at the end of the day, what they've done is, has proved proved to be savvy and they've had a wonderful season back in the Premier League. So I think that there's something to aim for, which is something I didn't think I'd ever be saying. I think we're, we're on the, some, something good here. We've got, we've got the right manager, Dean, Dean Smith, and, and whatever happens next season, Dean Smith should be given the next three to four years at Aston Villa Football Club to try and build something because he's earning stripes in the lower league and he, he's worked hard to get to the Premier League and I think he deserves a massive crack at it. I think there's many, many reasons to be to be positive and why not have a crack at trying to finish in the, in the top half next season? I, I don't think the, the gap between the top half of the Championship and perhaps the bottom seven, seven or eight in the Premier League is that grand. So... I'm, I'm excited and I think we can make a, a real go of it and I'm just so delighted that we've managed to get ourselves back to the Premier League. 
So that's Villa. As for Derby, another year in the Championship for them. Um, Sam, am I being sensationalist slash a Nottingham Forest supporter to say that they should be worried? Doubts over Lampard's future, doubts over the owner potentially scaling back his investment, Mount Tamori, Wilson, all likely to head back to their, their parent clubs. Where do they go from here? I thought he was brilliant post-match, first and foremost, Frank, Frank Lampard. But you, you could tell that it's all up in the air at the moment, isn't it? And if a uh, big job was to come calling, uh, of course, he, he would have to consider it. They're going to lose a lot of goals out of that team, 30-odd goals in, in Mount and, and Wilson. The, the likelihood of any of them coming back, I think, is very, very minute. I think Wilson will probably get a permanent move this summer. That's the, that's the rumour. I would suggest Mount's next challenge would be a Premier League loan. Tamori surprised me, actually. Uh, I think Their player of the season. Yeah, I mean, you know, I love him because we, we cover a lot of the Chelsea games, uh, the academy games in, in the past. But just going on his loans at MK Dons and Brighton, I just felt that, you know, those errors that often creep into his game may prove to be evident again this year. So now he, he surprised me a little bit, but I, I would question whether any of those would come back. So it, it's going to depend on the manager got to have the energy, hasn't he? I mean, he's a new manager, Frank Lampard. He's, he's done brilliantly first season. There's lots to be excited about, lots to be enthused about. And I think that other players, these aren't the only good young players knocking around that aren't in first teams in the Premier League. And, and Frank and yeah. his, his scouting team will be on the case. They'll, they'll know already. They're, they'll have identified other players to step in. And if you're a young player that's looking for a loan move to the Championship, you're going to jump at the chance, aren't you, to go to Derby, providing... Frank stays. So that's the proviso. If, and it's an if, because they've got a manager, if the Chelsea job comes up, he's taking that, no question about yeah. it. If another job comes up, is he thinking, well, actually, I quite like working here. I've got a good relationship with the owner. I've got everything in place already. I will give it another crack. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't see him moving to anywhere else, in, certainly not in the Championship. I, I don't think he'd leave Derby County this summer for any other job than Chelsea and we we heard ahead of kickoff, didn't we in all the build up which is fantastic how he's galvanised the city the people of Derby love Frank Lampard I like him more than I did a year ago just based on what he's done what he said and how he's acted as manager of the Rams so so look everything is going great for him and for Derby County and, and look this doesn't have to be the end of their journey Villa were in their position 12 months ago Derby can absolutely go again Decent first season as a manager then, Sam. But one criticism I've seen thrown at Frank Lampard and Derby in general is that they made too much of the semi-win against Leeds. The scenes in the dressing room, him leading the, the songs in the middle of the players, etc. and so on. There's some credence to that, isn't there? Because they did celebrate it as if it were the final, obviously because of the beef between the two clubs during the season. No, I don't agree with you. And my reason for that is the... Aston Villa celebrations at West Brom on the pitch in front of the Sky Sports cameras were exactly the same. If there's an issue, it's with whoever posts the video from the dressing room online. That's the only difference. But think back to what's gone on between Leeds and Derby County this season. The Leeds players celebrated their victory after Spygate by gesticulating with the binoculars and all that. So there was animosity between the two clubs. Um, that was a huge recovery from Derby to win that game. The emotion is going to be through the roof at the end of that game. The only problem has been some of the celebrations from the dressing room going out into the into the world and that bar bill and, and stuff like that, which they could have done without, uh, of course. So, but I think that's why everyone's jumping on it. For me, that that's natural to win a semi-final and celebrate in that, in that manner. I mean, it's sport. 
if you can't enjoy... You think about the final later, don't you? Yeah, if you can't enjoy a win like that, that was one of the best wins, not just this season, in, in recent memory in the EFL, one of the best games. Absolutely n- nothing wrong with what they did. What I don't like is club account, club Twitter account. Well, this is what I was just going to come on to. Bantering one another. Now, I don't, mind a, I don't mind a bit of character. I don't mind a bit of personality with a club Twitter account. But the whole having a pop, having a dig at other teams, it's always going to come back to bite you, isn't it? And, and then when you see this backwards and forwards, I, I, I don't like that. So what we're talking about here specifically is not actually between the two clubs. It's um, it's Leeds United and their bizarre war of words with Niall Horan of, of One Direction fame. I, I'm, I'm going to say that's the first time he's been mentioned on this pod this season. <laughs> he had a pop at their failure to make it to the final, saying that he's played at Wembley more than them, etc. Uh, they replied, hopefully you perform better than at DCFC officials. So they tagged them into it. See you next season. Hashtag stop crying. Obviously, it's not, you know, the Leeds United chairman who's sending the tweets out or whatever, but it's not particularly classy, is it, to do this kind of thing? And we're talking probably an hour after the final whistle's blown. Nice, absolute drivel. (laughs) You'd you'd expect juvenile, you'd expect them to have someone to answer to. I'm not saying the chief exec or whatever, but they've got to have someone in a senior position who's going to say, look, come on. You know that, that it's ridiculous. It's, it's not for me. And and as the, you know, as I just touched on, maybe in retrospect, the Derby social media manager probably shouldn't have posted that um, video from the dressing room. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's, it's, it's something that clubs are getting to grips with. It's a relatively new thing, obviously. Let's have a look at some odds, Joe Crilly from William Hill. The early markets for next season's championship. Is it one of them where we've got the three clubs who've come down are near the top? Probably not Cardiff. Well, yeah, they they are. We've got Fulham, a five to two Leeds, five to two West Brom, five to two to all win promotion. Cardiff, then fourth favourites at three to one. Going down the list a little bit further, Stoke last year's pre-season favourites. They're seven to two. Then Brentford, Huddersfield, and Borough at nine to two. And then if we have a little look at the the relegation market, you've got Barnsley, Charlton, and Millwall are the three favourites. Millwall, I think, were in the the bottom three favourites to go down at the start of last season but Barnsley 9-4 to four, Charlton Millwall and Wigan are all 5-2 to two, QPR and Reading 3-1 to one. What about promotion odds for the two-time European champions Nottingham Forest? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going quite a way down the list here Matt. All right. Uh, <laughs> same price same price as Derby and Sheffield Wednesday 5-1 to one. Okay no not interested in that How about Villa Premier League odds on, on them to, to stay up have we got those yet? Uh, yeah well we we just touched on whether they would be happy to finish 17th. The odds suggest that they will finish 18th. They are third favourites to go down. As you would expect, the three teams that have come up are the three favourites to go down. Uh, Sheffield United, 4-6. to six. So Their odds on to go down, the same as Norwich, who are 10-11. to 11. Villa, 7-4. to four. So congratulations to Villa, commiserations to Derby, sort of. Uh, We'll be seeing you next season. Next up, we'll talk about that League One humdinger between Charlton and Sunderland. Make this an every Saturday super with the Super Saturday Reloaded coupon from William Hill, available in all William Hill branches across the UK. With more prizes on offer than ever before, your new Super Saturday competitions offer you the chance to win a share of £1 million and some additional extra goodies specific to your region. All you have to do is select the number of goals, corners and cards across three selected football matches. Super Saturday football and racing competitions are free to enter when you bet £10 at your local William Hill. T's and C's apply. You can find out more at williamhill.com. And remember, when the fun stops, stop. 
So it's Charlton Athletic who'll be playing Championship football next season. The Addicts coming from behind to see off Sunderland courtesy of a 2-1 victory. German defender Patrick Bauer saving his first goal of the season for the 94th minute, six seconds before the end of stoppage time to be precise, to give Lee Bowyer's men the win. Decent couple of weeks for Bauer, whose wife gave birth to their daughter on the day of the second leg of the semi. A great finish for Charlton after a truly dreadful start. Adrian, talk us through the Naby own goal, which really <laughs> shouldn't be remembered as a Naby own goal. Goal, should it? No, it was more the goalkeeper's fault, wasn't it? He did overcook it, didn't he? It was it was a, a bad back pass, and you should always, if you can, pass it back where whereby you know outside the width of the goalpost. That's what you're taught. So, so it's a minor mistake from him, obviously a major one from 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 Dylan Phillips. And but but fair play to the way he recovered, and I think what helped him was making that excellent save down to his left from from the lead better ping. Just a few minutes later, I think that that made him forget about it, made him feel a little bit, a little bit less uh, self-conscious. But yeah, it's just it's just one of those absolute howlers that that occasionally happens. It, it was just a momentary loss in concentration. At that moment, Sunderland had the chance. They Charm were all over the gaff, weren't they? In the first fifteen of that match, they had to strike while the iron was hot, and, and the, the the fatal error on their part was easing off, which I think has been a, 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 a continual theme really with Sunderland this season. They didn't put their foot on the gas and they paid for it. So wobbly sort of 10 to 15 minutes for Charlton after that. Then they dusted themselves off and got back level through Ben Purrington 10 minutes before the break. That is first ever EFL goal. Then the winner from Bauer, which sparked scenes of delirium amongst the 40,000 Charlton supporters. Praise for Lee Bowyer, Sam. You know, not everybody's cup of tea as a player, to put it mildly. (laughs) But an incredible job he's done this season. He hasn't even got a contract at the moment. I mean, he could write his own contract now, surely, couldn't he? Yeah, yeah, you'd think so. And... I think just galvanising the, the fan base, I wouldn't say it was clever of the owner, but to have both Lee and, and Johnny Jackson in there who uh, so revered... It was a f- necessity, wasn't it, rather yeah. than being clever? No, so, no, yeah, of course, of course. And they're so revered at the football club, those two, that um, it can't help get the supporters on, on board. And I think they were outstanding, the, the supporters at, at Wembley, and I thought they deserved it. I think Adrian's bang on. I think Sunderland had the opportunity when Charlton were completely on the ropes in that first 20 minutes to really take the game to them. But it probably helped having the three centre-halves at that point because White couldn't influence the game, even though Sunderland had loads of the ball in midfield. They couldn't turn their control into chances, and that's been the story of Sunderland's season, and not building on one nil leads. So once Charlton started getting back into it, Aribo getting on the ball, and and Taylor had a bit more of an influence. They were they were the better side for me, but yeah, Lee and and Johnny and Andy Marshall as well, isn't it? I think they've done terrifically well. It's a great story. Um, they deserve to be back in the, in the championship. It's a big club. It's a well-supported club. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in the summer there as well because there's a number of top their top players, that contract situation along with the management duo, that are up in the air. So it's um, no certainty that they're going to have a great squad going into next season but hopefully they'll they'll, they'll have enough well th- this was going to be my question to you Adrian obviously they lost Carl and Grant in January which only goes to, to further how well Bowyer and the team are done really? to get up but can they keep Joe Aribo now now that he's going to be playing a division higher yeah. is that going to be enough for him yeah I think so. I don't think he's Premier League ready. It might be one day, but no, I think this would be the right thing for him to, to stick around. He'd build the team around Joe Rebo in that in that sort of floating role. I like him as a player. He travels with it nicely, doesn't he? He's a really confident lad, physically strong. And, and he was the kind of player that Sunderland need. Sunderland 
even though Jack Ross has done a good job, I think. I don't think we should take too much away from, from what he's done in terms of stabilising them. They're more professional. Um, lots of positives for Sunderland. But what they've lacked is pace in the team. A little bit of speed. A bit of a gear change. Someone to, to mix things up. If McGeady's not doing it, no one is. And that, I think, was missing for them. That's something he'll have to address. But no, Rebo and Taylor, I think, should both stay now because... They're in the championship. It's the level that they should be at. And uh, I think they will attract some really good loanees as well next year. It's a London club, isn't it? There'll be a lot of the, the London clubs that will want their players to go and work with Lee Bowie, who's proved to be a really innovative coach as well. The, the difference, I think, on the day, there's a few differences, but one clear standout was Bowie was bold in his tactical moves. Ross was conservative. He didn't pick McGeady. He, he played it safe, put him on too late. And then uh, Bowyer changed the system at half-time. It worked. Brought on Williams. It worked. Bowyer came out of that game with a lot of credit. Joe's already told us that Charlton are amongst the favours, favourites to go down early on, Sam. I don't want to accuse Joe and his colleagues of being a bit lazy, but it, it, that's just because they've been newly promoted. As we've said, yeah. they're a London-based club. They've got a big supporter yeah. base. They might not have much money, but they'll be able to attract players on loan, which is huge in the Championship. They ought to be aiming higher than just scraping above relegation. Well, of course, and two chaps that we haven't mentioned yet is Bielik on loan from Arsenal and, and Cullen from, from West Ham. So if they can keep hold of those two next year, I think... The Arsenal loanee might be difficult. I'd imagine he'll join the first team group at Arsenal, not no, with a view to playing. I don't think so. No, not I think they, a, could, I, they could get him. Do you think? Yeah. I think there'll be a lot of clubs that'll be interested in him next season, given what he's done. So those two, if they could get those two, and also they need someone to, to partner Lyle Taylor. Parker played, obviously, at the weekend and gave incredible amounts of effort and energy, but they need some more yeah. goals in the team as well. But now, of course, they'll come back for pre-season. They'll be optimistic at, at giving it a real good go. Just look what Mill did couple of seasons ago you know they very nearly got into the playoffs I think it was the last game of the season where they faltered so that's the type of conversations that Lee Bowyer and Johnny Jackson will be having and we've seen how positive Lee Bowyer has been seven games to go in the season he was going we're going to win every game and and threaten for automatic and they very nearly did yeah as for Sunderland we've touched on it briefly but seven visits to Wembley in a row without winning stretching back to the 72nd defeat there in the space of, of 56 days they were below par here Adrian it you mentioned it, McGeady, fractured foot meant that he was starting on the bench as part of his comeback. And then they lose Max Power yeah. so early on. They're behind the eight ball in that regard. But the other thing that came to my mind was when Will Grigg came off the bench. That hasn't worked, has it? Four league goals after a £4 million transfer and he didn't even start the match. It was a gamble that hasn't paid off. For no, him. absolutely, yeah. And you see the difference. Charlton let Carlin Grant go. And Taylor stepped up, didn't he, and, and delivered the goals that, that were missing, along with others. Sunderland lost Madger, and Wyke and Grigg couldn't quite deliver enough goals, could they? So, so no, they, they need more pace up front. It's as simple as that. It's a very simple equation, and maybe more legs in midfield as well. But yeah, losing power was was a big, big blow for them. But, but I don't think, as, as I just said, I don't think... Jack Ross or Sunderland fans should be too downbeat from where they were at the start of the season. I know they've got money and I know they had a big squad, but I think he, he's brought in you know a lot of professionalism to the club, a bit of, bit of unity, and they should 100% stick with him moving forwards. So they've learned how to win at home as well, haven't they? And they had the, this is the stat, the best stat I saw at the weekend came from Richard Foster who wrote the famous book on, on the playoffs. He said it's now 30 appearances. Have you seen this one? 30 appearances and 14 finals in the playoffs for red and white striped shirted teams with black shorts 
No wins. It is a curse. It is a curse. I know you wear it on the day, but teams who have that as their first kit, 30, no wins. I, yeah, I, I'm all over that curse. I'm, I'm changing my club colours. You can, you can imagine, it's Richard Foster, isn't it, the yeah. author? You can imagine him working that out as like a eureka moment, you know, coming downstairs, telling his wife and her going, we're getting a divorce. This is too much. It is an extraordinary stat though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Oddswise, Joe, what can you give me on Sunderland getting the job done next season? Presumably they're amongst the front runners. Yeah, they're favourites to win the league uh, at 7-2 to two and 7-4 to four for promotion. They are ahead of Ipswich and Pompey, who are 3-1 to one and 4-1 to one respectively to go up. It's all long-priced teams then. We can't work out, and I know it's early doors, we can't really work out who the next favourites are. We've got Rotherham next in the list, then Lincoln and Peterborough. They're both 8-1 to one for promotion. Burton, Coventry, Doncaster, Fleetwood, Oxford. So you've got all these teams that are pretty much the same price. You've even got Bolton Wanderers at 25-1 to one to win the league. They're minus 12 points at the moment. <laughs> They've only got six players contracted to start next season. So what you're saying is you haven't put any money on them? <laughs> Absolutely not. <no. laughs> crazy. <laughs> Now, Sam, you're an intelligent man. I bet you read all sorts of newspapers and periodicals like The Economist. Uh, Listeners, you might think that The Economist only concerns itself with economics and finance, but you'd be wrong. It covers loads of topics across politics, business, science, technology, arts, the environment. There's even a bit of sport in there, too. I read a piece recently all about what WrestleMania says about Donald Trump and the American electorate. And I found one for you too, Joe Crilly. It's about a new art exhibition themed on the future of food with two central installations, a toilet made of manure and a cheese grown from pubic hair. Nice. Mm. The (laughs) The Economist is the smart guide to the forces changing your world. So if you're the sort of person who never stops asking questions, get your free copy now by texting the word football to 78070. That's football to 78070. Right, before we leave League One, a couple of points of note. Uh, Coventry could ground share with Birmingham next season. This is after uh, Wasps have, have taken over the Rico Arena. Uh, it's it's a really messy situation, Adrian, that Coventry have been in for years and years now. Obviously, they were at Northampton a couple of seasons ago. It must be horrible for players not playing in your home ground. Very disappointing, yeah. And it will have an impact I think on the players they can attract unfortunately if you're a, a a player that's out of contract someone that's looking Coventry are a really attractive proposition in terms of the club size aren't they you think yeah love to play for them and, and they'll be going places you know the fans are fantastic there but but you can imagine what it would be like at St Andrews it's not that close I live in the area it's, it's a bit, I don't know what, how long it would take probably half an hour or so 20, at least 20-25 minutes so yeah you'd imagine that it would be a, a ground that's less than half full and that isn't attractive for players I'm afraid Another little news line from League One Steve Evans back in work he's taken over at Gilligan uh, Clark he's already bought a season ticket for Priestfield <laughs> next season uh, Chairman Paul Scully said Steve's no fool and neither am I to be fair uh, <laughs> which is a great quote isn't it uh, he's a oh, I sort of want to say a safe pair of hands he's a divisive figure yeah. one might say but he knows how to get the job done in the third tier more often than not doesn't he uh, yeah but I mean Steve Lovell did an amazing job there coming in I think we probably had them down definitely as favourites for potentially relegation this year so I think he he did, he did brilliantly he's been harshly treated I think that's 
probably unanimous with the, the Gillingham support. Um, and Steve Evans, <laughs> divisive again last season at, at Peterborough. I think early part of the season, I remember me and Adrian talking about just no nonsense, turning balls into the channel, had willing runners at the top of the pitch, got results. And I felt there was a real change in Peterborough when Ferguson came in. The freedom was, was evident within the, the players especially a couple of lads that I knew that had a, really went into their shell under Evans and really were expressing themselves towards the end of the season. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it didn't work out last year. There's no reason to say why Gillingham won't be competitive next year. But, I mean, what is the ambition, realistically, for Gillingham? Uh, yeah, Scally and Evans, goodness me. Um, well, Scally says it, he's it, not a fool, but he also well, says, I might have to leave because of the abuse I'm getting, he so he appoints Steve Evans. He might not be a fool, but he's not popular in football and nor Steve Evans so Gillingham wherever they go they'll be hated Wow on that bombshell that's League One done uh, Mike Dean masks at the ready we'll be chatting through the League Two playoff final next I'm Graham Wilcos here to tell you that the Bradley Wiggins show from Eurosport is back for a brand new series For 20 years I've just been called a hero and a legend you know and other things, obviously, but only behind the back. <laughs> we'll bring you stage-by-stage analysis of the Giro d'Italia, the World Championships, La Vuelta, and, of course, the Tour de France. Oh, he's got it! Each week, Sir Brad and our panel of cycling experts will be taking a deep dive into the world of two wheels and lycra. Brailsford could put his hand down a toilet and pull chocolate out. The Bradley Wiggins Show from Eurosport is your essential guide to the greatest events in cycling. Subscribe now on Audioboom, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Make mine a double, said Mickey Mellon, possibly, after he guided Tranmere Rovers to their second successive Wembley playoff win. Uh, they left it very late to see off 10-man Newport in the League 2 playoff final and secure back-to-back promotions. Connor Jennings, probably the feel-good story of the weekend, got the winner in the final minute of extra time. Just last year, he was in a coma with suspected meningitis. Sam, you were at Wembley for this one. Tranmere, just about worthy winners. I think penalties would have been the order of the day, to be honest. Nothing between them. Two points in the um, League Two table. Just the one goal over the 180 minutes in the league and it was always going to be a tight game. Me and Adrian spoke about being ever so impressed with Tramier's midfield in the semi-final. I thought Newport did really well up against that three. Really stopped them playing. Scott Bennett, former teammate of mine, Labadee as well. I thought those two were, were really excellent in stopping Banks and Perkins and Harris from having an effect. So it was a game of few chances. Norwood had one in the first half. Jamal Matt had one in the second. And that was pretty much it. It looked like we were going to get to, to penalties. Obviously, the con- controversy about the, the, the penalty, was it, wasn't it? And uh, Jennings, as you say, pops up. He played a number of different roles, actually. He went centrally having started wide and then they went to a back three as well so I thought Mickey Mellon if you look at it across the piece again like Lee Boyer mixed things up and was a bit braver with his tactics so you know credit where credit's due yeah I, I would agree with that completely I liked what Newport did in terms of missing out the midfield when they went direct to Matt I thought, yeah. I thought Matt was brilliant and well not brilliant but I thought he was he, he, he did a lot of good things and I think that was the key mistake from Michael Flynn taking him off I did it completely shocked me when when Matt was withdrawn I, I understand that you know the, the, the substitute has come on and made a difference before but. supposedly they were going to take um, Amond off we were all an, uh, yeah. anticipating Amon's number going up and then, the, and then Matt's went up and that was the reaction from everyone yeah I, I, I would have I wouldn't have taken either off particularly maybe Wilmot but but no, I'm on out of the two. I would have withdrawn because Matt is the guy. He was the hold-up guy. He was the one that's stringing it all together in terms of 
their tactical approach. And you think how many balls they chuck into the box. He he was the man. This game was overshadowed by the decision from the EFL not to use VAR. Well, let's let's hear what Mike Flynn said about that. He he was left to ruin the lack of VAR. Two penalty appeals turned down. And post-match, his quote, we're at the home of football, Wembley. We have the equipment. We have full-time referees. And today, a big decision has absolutely killed us. So he's talking specifically about the foul that wasn't given on Jamil, Matt. Sam, you said you thought it was a penalty before we switched the mics on. Adrian, you agreed. But why does the referee not get the opportunity to review it when the technology is available? Well, yeah, I disagreed with the call when it, when it came out public. I just thought there's so much at stake here. Do you think either set of players or fans care that it hasn't been in use the whole season? Surely they want a fair outcome in the biggest match of the season where careers can be defined and, and jobs can be, you know, contracts can be earned or torn up on the back of a result, can't they? So it's, it's massive. And I think VAR, I'm 99.9% certain that VAR would have given that a penalty. I thought, it was, I thought it was nailed on. Um, Did you need a few looks at it, Sam, from, from your view in the gantry? Well, I was completely confused, to be honest. And after the game, I went and stuck my head in the freezer for a couple of hours <laughs> because nobody knew what was going on. We were ringing former referees. We were trying to speak to officials in the stadium. Uh, it, it under, I understand it now that maybe the ruling um, to not give the penalty was correct. But, you know, for, for me or Adrian or anyone who saw that incident, the, the, the ball, the play is active. Manny Monte goes to make a challenge. He doesn't know someone's in an offside position and he makes a foul. I mean, for me, it's a, it's a definite penalty. And, you know, my reaction, you know, when you're, you're going towards the end of a game and you're doing the comment, commentary, you know, immediately my arms went out. I mean, it's a certain penalty. And I think everyone in the stadium felt that. I, I thought it was... A, look, I, don't, I don't like to dig out individuals and, and pick on them. I did think it was a surprise appointment, Ross Joyce. The end of the season, one of the key games in the relegation battle... He had an utter stinker at Walsall. He gave a penalty against Southend United. And it was derided. And I think that the, 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 the powers that be even apologised to Southend afterwards. Like it was, and then he gets the biggest match of the season just a couple of weeks later. For me, as soon as he sees the flag go up, it's, it's the get out of jail card. I don't have to give the decision. That is how I saw it. I thought it was weak refereeing. But, but, but I don't blame him. I blame the EFL for not having VAR in the final. It, sh- it should have been there. Should have given it to Mike Dean. <laughs> uh, he was quite muted in his celebration, I thought. Whose job was it semi? to speak to Mike Dean on his way to Wembley to say, where are you going to be sat? What block are you in? Uh, it was Mike Dean's job, I'll tell you that. He <laughs> yeah. was telling every, he everybody he knows Straight on to the producer. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, early favourites for, for next season's League Two title? Plymouth are the favourites to win the title and to gain promotion. They're 8-1 to one to win it, ahead of Bradford, Mansfield and Scunthorpe, all at 9-1. to one. Obviously, at the start of this season, we had two teams that came up from the National League, one of which went on to get promoted. One of them battled very bravely against relegation, but we think both of the teams that have been promoted this season will be towards the higher end of the table. Salford are 5-1 to one to gain promotion into League One and Leighton Orient are 6-1. to one. Right, we're nearly done. Uh, We're going to give out some awards next, though, so stick around for the final part of the show. 
Whilst the football season might be drawing to its inevitable close, fear not, for we at Muddy Knees Media will not be leaving you without anything this summer because when the club closes, the country takes over. Coming soon to a podcasting app near you, specifically Spotify, we've got the Totally Nations League show. We'll be taking a crack team of panellists to Porto to soak up the atmosphere and report back after every night of football and hopefully seeing England lift the trophy. Plus, the offside rule will be producing daily podcasts throughout the Women's World Cup. Kate Borsight and Lindsay Hooper will be heading up our coverage both at home and in France as England and Scotland look to do battle over the channel and hopefully lift the trophy too. So basically, make sure you're using Spotify as your podcasting app of choice and life will be great. We're almost done, but before we go, for no particular reason, let's dish out some Totally Football League Show awards. I asked the chaps to nominate your player and manager of this season for each division with the caveat that they can't have won the EFL award. We're looking for, for somebody a little bit different and we're going for a hero and villain too. I've had a go as well. We'll start in the championship. Adrian, who do you pick for manager? Oh, no, go go somewhere else. I hadn't I hadn't realised that was the game. <laughs> <laughs> no one that's been promoted then. Um, Graham Potter I'll go for. Yeah, he's not a championship manager. <laughs> Proof's in the pudding. Proof's in the pudding. He's got himself a move already. No, I, I enjoyed... I think me and Adrian have both yeah, been down there this season and the, the type of football, his tactical changes, getting players to play a variety of roles, just everything about him really, I think he'll be a success at Brighton. Yeah, I'm a fan. Love his tactical flexibility. He's, he's a real innovator, uh, Potter. I will give the uh, award to Gary Monk because I think in challenging circumstances at Birmingham City, he did absolutely brilliantly. And if he has the funds, if, if, if they can go again, Birmingham, I think they're in very safe hands with him. All right, I went for Nigel Adkins. Uh, he had a lot of restrictions placed on him and, and has enhanced his reputation, which seemed to be on the wane. Player-wise, I went Mason Mount. First season in, in English senior football, and he managed to get himself an England call-up. Maybe tailed off a little bit toward the end, but but pretty good. Anyone else you can chuck very, in? Very Andrew? good. Yeah, my, my pick for this is uh, Saeed Benrama of uh, Brentford. 29 starts. 10 goals, 14 assists. That's outstanding. I don't think we really talked about him enough during the, the last nine months or so. So he's a he's a guy to watch out for in the future, for sure. Anyone catch your eye, Sam? Uh, I had Neil Mopai written down just because I think he gets, not, not criticism, but I think he's a very good player. Not only the goals, but his intelligence, his use of the body with, with his back to goal. For someone who's quite slight, I, I really like him. I think he's ready for maybe not a, a top half Premier League team, but certainly someone in the bottom half to take a gamble. And, and the other one, David McGoldrick, I know promoted, but I just think for the story, a free transfer, maybe not someone who's won all the accolades at Sheffield United this season, but what a campaign yeah. he's had. Yeah, Ipswich, pretty rueful. <laughs> he managed to get away from them. In terms of, of League One, manager-wise, it's, it's difficult to look past Lee Bowie. Have you got anybody else? Wally Downs. Has Great to be, shout. Has to be, doesn't it? I mean, we'd written him off in these four walls countless times when he went in. I thought he was getting a job with a view to next season, introducing some more young players. Uh, Ten points adrift, I think they were at one stage. What a job to keep them in the division. Yeah, I think he wins hands down. I'd give a special mention to Grant McCann at Doncaster. I think he did great. Really bold, attacking football. I love, love his attitude. Um, but my pick would be a new manager, Brian Barry Murphy. Rochdale. Just think about it. I mean, they, they were they're practically gone. Joe was telling us every every other week that Rochdale were, you know, odds on to, to get relegated. Last 11 games, they were the games he took charge of 20 points. 20 from 11 for a team that couldn't really keep a clean sheet. I think they kept five in that run. 
he uh, he did brilliantly. How about players for League One? Who did you go for there? Uh, Jack Stacey would be my pick. I can't get my head around the fact that he wasn't in the PFA Team of the Year. I just said, what are the players looking at? I thought he was absolutely sensational. Every, well, I, I didn't see Luton week in, week out, but but from what I saw of them, obviously he, was, he provided, I think, eight assists, but when I saw him in the flesh as well a few times, he was, he was superb. So, uh, yeah, he's my pick, and I think he'll shine in the Championship as well. Ethan Pinnock at Barnsley. Love watching him. Tail end of the season, two or three times um, live. Rolls-Royce can defend, never looks in trouble when people try and run him and can play out as well. He, he looks the complete central defender for me. So looking forward to seeing him next season and could be talking about a future Premier League defender. Uh, I'm going to chuck in a name who might not be in League One next season. Tom Eaves of Gillingham, 21 goals in, in a struggling team and one of them at Portsmouth, which Dennis Bergkamp would have been proud of. Absolutely unbelievable. Interesting to see what happens to him over the next couple of months. Uh, in terms of League Two, Adrian, manager-wise, who who stood out? It's a manager that just missed out, actually, uh, John McGreal. Obviously, they're very close. Well, they're just a few minutes away from sneaking into the playoffs at what would have been Newport's expense. But I think they've not got much money there to play with. But he, he's, he's shown a lot of faith in young players. And those young players have really delivered for him. And, and they're a team to watch out for next year, I think, Colchester United, providing, of course... The, the, these talents that have shone this season don't all get cherry-picked by bigger clubs. So I, th- I think he he did superbly. How about you, Sam? Same theme as League One, really. I'm going to go for Seoul. Um, yeah, incredible. Written them off as well. We had thought they were going to be relegated. And um, I know a lot's gone on the last few weeks as well. He's obviously been speaking to the press and, um, yeah, it's a little bit up in the air whether he's going to be there next season. But I, I think to get them out of trouble was an incredible achievement because it was, it was them... Uh, and and another f- for me for nine months. So yeah, well done. I know he got promoted, but we should give some some kudos to Ryan Lowe working with one arm tied behind his back at Berry, an experienced manager. Might wind up at Plymouth by the uh, the looks of some reports that we're seeing today. In terms of League Two players, Sam, who, who have you picked? Well, I'm glad you said that because I had Ryan Lowe scribbled down. I'm going to go for Mayer and O'Shea. They can share the accolade. The two. Berry lads. I'm not sure. I'm presuming they were in the, the team of the year, etc. But I think the the best footballing team, in, in my opinion, in that division. And without those two, would have been miles away from it. The goals, the assists, the ability to cut through teams in the final third. Both of them outstanding campaigns. Yeah, they were in the the, the team uh, League Two team of the year. Uh, one player that wasn't who, who caught my eye was uh, Lincoln's Bruno Andrade. He scored ten goals, and I reckon without you know replaying them. At least eight of them were top corners or, or, or worldies. So, um, yeah, I, I, I tip my cap to uh, Andrade. I went for Tyler Walker because I'm biased and he's contracted to Nottingham Forest. <laughs> if we look at heroes and villains, villains, I mean, take your pick. It, 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 let's, let's be positive to start, Adrian. Who have you got as your hero? Hero. Do you know what? I've got a team. It's random. It's Sheffield Wednesday. They are my heroes of the season because they gave us around 10 or 11 goals of the season. It was absolutely sensational. Their own goal of the season compo was just borderline ridiculous. So for sheer uh, fun and the the beauty that they provided, Sheffield Wednesday uh, are my heroes. Sam? I didn't have time to do this, so on the spot, I'm going to go for... You, you did have time, you just have chosen very busy. To I'm going for the siblings, the Cowley brothers. And the reason being is that 
I just like the way they seem to have it all mapped out and they must have had an opportunity to move on. By the time I'm saying this, they'll probably have got a bigger job. But I just think the the, the way that they're conducting themselves is, is first class and I see them doing it again in League One next season. So brilliant after failing the playoffs last year to get Lincoln up automatically this year. And I just think they've they've got the right attitude and I think they're onto a good thing at Lincoln. So hopefully they can see it through for at least another season. Uh, I'm going to go with somebody we've spoken about at length already today. I'm going to go for Jack Grealish for the way that he responded to that idiot clumping him in the back of the head, which could have been, I mean, it was one of the worst things happened in the AFL this season, but it could have been disastrous and he could have gone the other way. And also, you know, you think back to a couple of years ago, last time Villa were in the Prem and we were seeing pictures of him passed out on the floor after a couple too many drinks. A young lad who is now the captain of a club who'd been promoted, he, he seems to have really matured in every sense, I would suggest. Definitely, yeah. No, uh, no, he's he's definitely been a hero, a hometown hero. Uh, villains, this is the fun bit. Sam, I mean, take take your pick. <laughs> I've just written down Berahino and Joey Barton just for the fun of it. I don't even know if they've done anything. So Berahino, we should say, has had his contract cancelled by Stoke after being um, convicted of drink driving. So he's an idiot. So that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, mate. I think Bielsa's scout as well. That was in the bushes. Yes, he potentially he was a hero as well. But for me to um, go the 15 junctions down the M1 or whatever it was to take in some of Derby's training on a Friday afternoon from the, the bushes seems a little bit OTT for me. Adrian, who have you gone for? Uh, yeah, well, there's loads of candidates. My number one choice would be Josh Morris and Scunthorpe. Um, for their unsportsmanship on the final day of the season. That was an absolute disgrace. And I still haven't really... They may have apologised. I didn't see it. I didn't really see much contrition there. I thought that was... That was Just remind ironical. everybody of what happened. Well, the goalie rolls it out because he's injured um, to get treatment. Everyone knows it. But but Josh Morris sprints to keep the ball in and chips it into the empty net. This on the day that that goal could easily have relegated Plymouth. And they didn't care. And it was yeah, one of the most unsporting things I've ever seen in football. And they should hang their heads in shame. All associated, really, with Scunthorpe. So so that was, that was poor. Um, there are some candidates in the hierarchy that are pretty obvious. But on the pitch, in terms of bad boys... You've got, to, you've got to highlight Max Power, three red cards in eight games, and Ben Pearson, three red cards and 14 yellows. They, they were pretty villainous. Key there is you don't always need Max Power. Sometimes like medium power <laughs> is enough. I'm surprised neither of you have gone, gone for my pick here. I know who Joe's going to pick. I'm going to ask him to, to have a, one final rant in, in a moment. But Alan Hardy, all day long well, he's for me. He's on the list. Of course, of course he is. Uh, Sean Derry, Derry's battered him last week. I thought I'd just give him a week off. We just replay that. <laughs> Sammy's taken what was the oldest football league club out of the football league, basically because he's a bozo. And when he's not doing that and, and you know, basically destroying <laughs> picture, that you? club, he's tweeting pictures of his knob. So... <laughs> It's not been a great season for Alan Hardy and uh, the Notts County takeover was supposed to have happened by now. It still hasn't. They're going to be late planning their season in the National League, which is not somewhere a club of that stature really ought to be. So, yeah, Alan Hardy all day long. Speaking of errant owners and idiocy, Joe Crilly, I would imagine that uh, there's somebody quite high up on your Villain of the Year list. Yes, indeed. Ken Anderson. (laughs) If there is any good to have come out from Bolton being placed in administration and 
having a 12-point deduction at the start of next season, it is that Ken Anderson is no longer chairman of Bolton Wanderers and that can only be a good thing. So onwards and upwards. There you go. Well done, winners. There's absolutely no prize on offer, but the kudos of earning the respective Clarkey and or Parkey is worth far more than anything money can buy. Thanks to Caroline, Adrian, Sam and Joe for all their efforts this season. Also props to producer Abby and our other contributors, namely Simon Watts, David Connolly, Ian Danter, Ian McIntosh, Gregor Robertson, Sean Derry, everyone we've had on the phone. But most importantly, you, dear listener, we really couldn't have done it without you. Should we do it all again next season? Yeah, let's. See you back here in August. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and be sure to check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life really, and here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK, so that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.